And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. It's, of course, Election Day. That's right, Tuesday, and everybody's going to the polls today. Millions are expected to turn out for today's deciding votes. Of course, we won't know the results of the election here for a day or two, but um, this is going to be the day, right? So uh, we've talked about over the last couple of days the importance of midterm elections and, of course, coming up on November the 15th. We've got a special Lunch and Learn. I'll be joining Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff to talk about election outcomes, what that means for markets historically. If you want to register, seats are filling up very fast right now. Uh, it's, it's Zoom, so don't worry. There's plenty of seats. <laughs> but you just go by the website, um, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get registered. Uh, we're going to do that at noon on November the 15th, so make sure you're registered for that. Um, but again, as we talk about the election, the outcomes, what does this mean? Of course, markets tend to like, as we've talked about before, tend to like gridlock. Uh, you know what? You know what else people like? Money. People very. I was very upset this morning. Didn't think I was going to have to come to work because I was pretty sure I won the Powerball. I've, you know, I've actually never played the lottery ever until yesterday. Oh, really? I bought tickets yesterday. Really. Yeah, I was it. And it was interesting because I had to, I just actually just went to a convenience store to fill up, put gas in my truck. Right. And I walked in and there is a line of people (laughs) to buy lottery tickets. And I'm like, oh, what the heck? So it's 1.9 billion for the Powerball lottery. And the payout is a record 929 million. Now this is before tax. So once you actually, depending on where you live, right? Taxes, state taxes, federal taxes, all that. Uh, the net payout is somewhere around, don't quote me on the number, it's like $530 million. So it's really not the, worth the $2 to play, right? I mean, you know, after tax, $500 million. Yeah. Million yeah. here, million there. Yeah, I know, right. So you have a lot of friends with <laughs> $530 million. Oh, yeah. You have a lot of friends. But interestingly enough, this morning we get up to find out if I had to come to work or not. Um, and it's been delayed. Apparently, one of the states did not comply with. They have very strict security protocols for for Powerball. Stricter uh, than the elections, stricter, as I understand it. Yeah, that maybe we should use them for the election yeah. monitors. Um, but you know, so anyway, it's been delayed, waiting to find out the get the security protocols done, <laughs> and we'll find out you know, if I'll be here tomorrow for work. Do we know who the laggard state was? Uh, no, it's not California, though. Okay. I, only because they complained. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah. So they complained. They, so they have their, to go to work. They need their tax money. Right. So, <laughs> but anyway, so that is what's going on with that. We'll find out later today if anybody actually won the $929 million jackpot. Now, interestingly enough, did you realize, though, that with um, when President Trump was in office, uh, we cut taxes. Mm-hmm. And so the payout on lottery payments went up. Right. Right. And so now because of the change in leadership, right, we've had increases in taxes and back up 37%, blah, blah, blah. We're now back down to one of the lower payouts on the total payout uh, going back in lottery history. Yeah. So it's dropped very sharply over the last couple of years. You you really thought this through, didn't you? I, I did. I've been playing. I've been working on this. And that, that doesn't even count inflation. So, oh, well. <laughs> that, yeah, that $530 million after inflation, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> keep your two bucks. <laughs> anyway, uh, so if I don't show up tomorrow, you'll know what happened. Yeah, give me a little bit more warning than 30 minutes, okay? No, no you'll, you'll get the phone call from Hawaii or wherever <laughs> I'm headed. So that's all you're getting. All right, look, let's get to work this morning. Uh, a couple of things to talk about. So again, election day today. Markets rallied yesterday a bit on expectations that conservatives or Republicans, however you want to call them, will take, the, take both the House and the Senate yesterday. So markets are rallying because they like gridlock. Um, markets did bounce. Again, we talked about this yesterday, kind of bounced very nicely off that 20-day moving average, holding that support basically just barely clipped above resistance at the 50-day moving average yesterday. So we're kind of in a very tenuous spot here. Markets do need to rally through the day. This uh, Right now, futures are pointing higher. The S&P's up about 13 points. Dow's up about 107. It's not a hugely strong open this morning. But again, any further advance today will get the markets back above that 100-day moving average. Now, the next, uh, the next important level of, of resistance is going to be these previous tops that we just put in. Um, over the last week or so because those tops also coincide with where the 100-day uh, moving average is. Now, interestingly enough, where the market is right now, despite all of this turmoil, right, the ups and downs, concerns about inflation and no pivot, pivot, etc., Markets haven't gone anywhere. I mean, really, it's been a lot of volatility, a lot of bouncing around in the markets. But really, we go all the way back to June. Markets haven't done much of anything except just kind of grind sideways. Now, again, depending on how your portfolio is positioned, you know, it's been pretty rough, right? Because if you've got a lot of mega caps, they've been under pressure. If you've got a lot of energy stocks, you've done great. So it just depends on how your portfolio is done as to really how you feel. But markets overall haven't really done a whole lot of anything and just really kind of grinding sideways here. But again, it, it, you know, as we've talked about before, the market's still within this kind of this upward bias over here over the last four or five weeks. And again, that's kind of that important, uh, you know, kind of end of the year structure that we want to see. I'd like to see some of this continue. If we could break above these previous resistance levels, that gives us a decent shot to get back to about 4,100 on the index by year end. And there's, again, as we talked about over the last, you know, week or so, there's some, certainly some catalysts for that, right? We've got buybacks or back end. Corporations are buying back stock to bring down the, the number of shares outstanding so they can meet earnings. Um, also, that benefits the insiders of companies. Um, but also, as we move into year end, there's a tremendous amount of money on portfolio managers' books where they're holding a lot of extra cash. Uh, they did a lot of selling this year, and they've got cash on the books, and they haven't redeployed that. They're going to have to get a lot of that money deployed by the end of the year for a quarter for year-end reporting. So there's a couple of things here that could lead to a further advance in the markets over the next month or so, plus the fact that we're in the seasonally strong period of the year. So again, that's kind of the the, the bullish story behind the markets right now. Of course, we've got a lot of bearish stories as well. Thursday. We've got CPI, so again, uh, if we have a really hot CPI number on Thursday, that could certainly put pressure on stocks over concerns that the Fed may remain even more aggressive, right? So uh, right now it's expected that the Fed will only hike 50 basis points in December. A really hot CPI number on Thursday could suggest they might go ahead and hike another 75 basis points. That wouldn't be good for stocks, right? So, you know, there's certainly some risk out here. We haven't heard a lot from Fed officials over the last day or so since uh, the meeting last week. 
Um, we'll start to get some more language from them, but don't really expect a lot of dovish talk from them either. So again, markets are will probably remain kind of range bound for right now. Clearly, the trend remains negative. And again, we're kind of getting into this, this kind of consolidation of prices to where we've got these declining tops. We've got some rising bottoms here. Um, eventually the market's going to have to declare itself in one direction or the other. So as we start getting into next year, the question will be, does this bull market actually get some legs behind it? Or do we start seeing a further deterioration as we start talking about recession, potential recession, et cetera? So there's certainly some risk to the markets over the next you know, couple of months. So again, as we've talked about before, continue to use this rally. Here's another good opportunity pick up a little bit of cash, raise a little bit of cash right now, reduce your risk. It's okay. As we kind of figure out what the market wants to do, then we can reallocate, right? So we don't have to figure it out until it happens. Anyway, we'll come back. A lot of stuff to get into this morning. So hang around for more of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, as we said, uh, today is, of course, the election day, and everything's going to be kind of quiet today ahead of that. I, I expect markets will try to just really kind of hold on to kind of their current levels for the day. Um, I wouldn't expect a, a huge rally um, today. Again, kind of all expectations are right now that Congress will be divided. And again, we'll get gridlock in Congress, which again, markets like, and that's why, you know, potentially we might see a little bit of a follow through rally after today. Um, if that turns out to be the case, of course, we won't know right away. Um, once they're, you know, get through all the ballot counting and all that tomorrow, we'll have a pretty good idea of what the results are going to be. I'm sure there's gonna be a couple of contested elections that are too close to call those type of things. It's kind of always the case. So nothing nefarious about that, just the way it works. And you know, so over the next couple of days, as these things become much more clear, if it is indeed the case that, you know, uh, Republicans have taken control of the House and or the Senate, then that will probably bode well. And again, if we go back and look at historical stats, and again, you've always got to take historical stats with, you know, a grain of salt and just, you know, just because something has always happened Previously, it doesn't mean it's going to happen this time, right? So just, you know, we're playing, it's as, as it always is, you know, we call it investing. It's really not. We're gambling in the market. We're speculating. 
So as speculators in the market, um, we're always trying to predict futures. That's what we do. And, you know, it's interesting people, you know, chastise people who gamble in Vegas on things. Of course, uh, Mattress Mac just won $75 million by betting on the Astros. Uh, Caesars and Pin uh, Pin Gaming have both come out and said that they will take a hit to earnings because of Mattress Mac. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, thirty. Uh, so he, you know, it's it. Uh, uh, the the bet size was pretty incredible, and uh, so the payouts are are pretty well. He bet uh, back in June. He bet three million dollars on the Astros to win in June, and that's going to be a $30 million. It was a 10 to 1 odds, and so $30 million just on that one bet will come out. So, yeah, and now, now Mattress Mac, very gracious, of course. He said that most of that's going to go back to us. Basically, it's a wash for him, right? He bet $10 million and most of it's going to his customers. And so because, again, everybody that bought $3,000 or more of furniture at a Gallery Furniture will have their purchase now free. And he gives them that he gives them that money back in a store credit, where you know most of them come back and spend it in the store anyway. So it, it works out well. <laughs> He's doing just fine. But he made a really good point. He says this is the type of advertising you can't buy, right? He says this is stuff people will remember for you know ten years. And when people think about furniture, they'll think about mattress max. He's he's a genius marketer, and he's done he's done a fantastic job. But uh, it was interesting though that the size of the bet has now gotten too companies to come out and basically say that they're going to take a hit to earnings because of this one bet payout. So so they're giving their investors a back, 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 back order? <laughs> it could be on earnings, yes. <laughs> that could very very well be the case. Uh, yeah, so Caesar, uh, the actual quote was from Caesars, and they said, I, I think most of you are aware we've got a fairly high-profile liability out there with the Astros, so that will be a swing factor in whether fourth quarter is positive as a whole. And that was uh, Caesar CEO Tom Ragg, who warned on November the 1st on their earnings call. And so uh, just shortly after that, that the Astros won and they did it. Now, interestingly enough, Caesar said, and would we do it again? Absolutely. This is what they do. You know, this and, you know, while these kind of big high profile bets are, are interesting and and amazing, this is what, you know, casinos do all day. Right. Is, and here's the point of the conversation. Casinos do this all day long. What do they do? They measure odds and manage risk. That's what they do. They say, you know, look, I'm going to bet $30 million on this. And, you know, if I lose, what's my offset? You know, all these type of things. So they, they, they understand the odds and they understand the risk of what they're doing because we can't predict outcomes, right? We can guess at them, but we can't predict them. It's the same thing that we do with investing. We call it investing because we don't want to tell everybody that they're gamblers, but that's really what you are. You know, you're not investing in the stock market. You invest in a business, right? You want to start a business, that's what you invest in because you're going to put your money, your time, and you're going to make sure that it works. That's an investment. In the stock market, all you can do is hope that you're going to buy shares of something and that it goes up in price. So we are, by, by the very definition of gambling, gambling, because we're betting on a future outcome of which we have no idea what's going to be the case. So what we can do, though, is we can try to understand the risk and the rewards and those things that come along with it and manage that risk accordingly. And this is where it comes to where you've got to be careful about a lot of these stats that are running around. And I've got a report coming out on this on Friday. Um, I have to wait for the election to be finished, but I've got a report coming out on election odds and what happens historically to markets on Friday. 
just understand that just because the markets have always had a positive 12-month return following a midterm election, always, 100% of the time, asset prices were higher 12 months after a midterm election every single time. That doesn't mean that they'll be higher this time, right? Because that's the odds, right? The more that something happens, right? Every time you flip a coin, you get ahead, right? So I flip a coin, heads, flip a coin, heads, flip a coin, heads. Every time I flip a coin and get heads, the odds of me getting a tells go up, right? Just because it's, it's simply a function of time until something happens. Now, it's the same thing here. Just because it's always happened in the past, A, doesn't mean it'll happen in the future. Now, odds are good, right? Now, here's now here's the caveat to this. If the midterm election was in November of 2021, we would have the same conversation, right? Saying, hey, 100% of the time after midterm elections, stocks go up. Now, in hindsight, we'd be looking back and go, well, that was wrong. But now the odds of stocks going higher from here because the markets are down 21%, but a lot of stocks are down 50, 60, 70, 80% from their peak. You've had a big correction in asset prices. You've had the largest correction in bond prices since 1788. So the odds that stock prices will be higher over the next 12 months is actually pretty decent. Now, there's a lot of risk to that going into next year. Honestly, you know, we, you know, we've been talking about earnings recession, economic recessions, the Fed's hiking interest rates, so that's going to have an impact or they break something. You know, these are all going to weigh on that outcome, but the odds are decent now because of the market correction that stock prices will be higher next year. Sometime, right? By, the, by this time next year, 12 months from now, stock prices will be higher. 24 months from now, the odds are really good stock prices will be higher. Doesn't mean they can't go lower first. But just statistically speaking, odds are, are very good that stock prices will be higher in 24 months. So if you started buying stocks today, odds are in 24 months, you'll be fine. But again, it doesn't mean that stock prices can't go lower first because we do have a lot of other issues. So I just want you to be careful with these stats when people throw them around and say, hey, you know, hey, here's a stat that says 100% of the time that something's happened, this happens. Because if it's happened 100% of the time, odds are there, there's a rising probability that this time could be different. You know, we've gotten heads every single time after every previous midterm election. Now, again... You know, timing is everything. And this midterm election cycle is falling in the middle of a, of, a, of a downtrending market. So that increases the odds that over the next 12 months, asset prices will be higher than they are today. Again, doesn't mean they can't go lower first. But this is, you know, this is why, you know, when you take a look at your investing and, 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 and your portfolio and understand you know, nobody's got the answers. Nobody knows for certain what's going to happen. All we can do and the best that we can do is just try to manage our risk, just like we go place bets on something. You know, Mattress Max is a good example of this, right? Yeah, he bet $10 million on the Astros winning. 
He gave a promotion that sold millions upon millions of dollars of furniture. People went and bought furniture because they needed it. But they went to gallery to buy their furniture because, hey, if the Astros win, they get their furniture for free. So there's a lot of people that bought, you know, mattresses and furniture and other stuff that now have it free because of this announcement. So Mattress Mac, yeah, he spent $10 million out of his pocket, but the risk bet was is that, yeah, I spent $10 million, and if I win, I'm going to cover this promotion. Now, he also has insurance for this, but I bet $10 million, but he made more than that just from the sale of the furniture. So, again, you know, this, this is managing risk. Yeah, I took this bet, but I was hedging that risk. And it's the same thing when it comes to investing. I want to hedge the risk. So what can I do to hedge my risk of being wrong? Because that's what risk is. See, you know, what Wall Street does really good is to delude you into this idea that the more risk you take, the more money you make. And that's true, right? I can bet on the 100 to 1 long shot in a horse race. And I might win. And I win a lot, right? But odds are, if he's 101 to win, he's probably not going to win. <laughs> That's why he's 100 to one, right? It's a long shot that this guy, this is like Brent in a foot race with Usain Bolt. There's a chance that Usain Bolt could trip and fall and sprain his ankle. And, and, and Brent could actually, if he survived the 100-yard sprint, could actually win, right? There's a long shot to that. I wouldn't bet on it because <laughs> Usain Bolt could probably crawl to the finish line faster than Brady could get there. <laughs> anyway, be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com the end of the year is fast approaching what will the new year bring join richard rosso danny ratliff and lance roberts for our year-end economic review special event tuesday november 15th how to address higher taxes in the new year should you delay your retirement in 2023 what will the midterm elections mean for markets register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So, you know, we've talked about, you know, the economy. And, and one thing that's important about the economy is to understand that, you know, yeah, we talk a lot about Apple, Microsoft, you know, Google, you know, these kind of big, massive companies. But, you know, the vast majority of, of businesses in this country are, are much smaller, you know, less than a thousand employees. And a vast majority of businesses have less than 10. 
right? You think about your local nail salon and, you know, auto shops and those type of things, right? So just a ton of businesses that have very few employees relative to these massive mega corporations like Apple, right? With, you know, hundreds of thousands of Walmart, Costco, hundreds of thousands of employees. And so we always tend to kind of get lost in looking at the economy through this lens of, you know, out of 6 million businesses in the active businesses, right? Uh, there's, there's 30 million corporations in the U.S. Only 6 million of them actually have employees. So, but we get lost in the lens out of those 6 million businesses of looking at the market or the economy through the, the lens of just 10,000. And that's these big publicly traded companies that have lots of employees. And so we tend to, to look away from the underlying stuff. And this is why the National Federation of Independent Business, which is a survey of small businesses, is a very important component of doing some analysis on the overall economy. And, and that report is due out this morning. It's expected that it might tick up just a, just a smidge this morning, but it's at a very low level. It's the uh, confidence of small business owners is now at – what have always previously been recessionary levels. Capital expenditures are at very, very low levels. Um, they're not spending money right now. They're not, they're not confident. And that has a lot of things to do. It has a lot to do with the economy, has a lot to do with the political environment, you know, uh, concerns about higher taxes or more regulations, you know, those type of things. And so one thing that may occur after this election, if we do start to see gridlock in, in, in uh, government, where the threat of higher taxes will go away, we might very well start to see that sentiment improve a little bit because that's been one of the threats that has been facing small businesses, which is this higher tax rate issue. You know, we have to go, the, the rich need to pay their fair share, that type of story. And so we can see that. But there's other things plaguing small businesses. And one of those, of course, is higher rents. Not surprising. Small businesses, this was a, a headline out, Small businesses are struggling to pay rent due to higher rent inflation. So that's not surprising, right? Inflation's going up. Cost of maintaining a building is going up. So rent is going up. And again, remember, as a renter, I'm subject to the landlord. And so the landlord's the guy that's paying all the bills. He's paying the utilities. He's paying, you know, the, the property taxes. He's, you know paying for the upkeep and maintenance and all that type of stuff for whatever building you're renting. So when those costs go up for him, he passes that cost on to the renter. And so rents are going up because of inflation. But the problem is it's not just rent going up. So if it, And this is what we've talked about before, and this is the important thing to understand about inflation. If inflation is organic, right, it's driven by stronger economic growth, that's okay. If we had 4% inflation and we were running, you know, 5 6% economic growth on a, a real basis, not flat, then that would be okay because the consumption or my customer base is coming into my business. They're buying more stuff. I'm raising the prices of things I'm selling. They're still coming in to buy it because they're getting more wages. Right? So they're still buying more stuff. You know, everything's great. The economy's working like it's supposed to work. My price, I raise my prices. 
I sell that to my customers. My landlord raises my rent. That's okay because I've been charging more to my customers so I can pay higher rent. And that all works fine, right? There's nothing wrong with that type of inflation. Now, the, the Fed fears all types of inflation, but there's nothing wrong with organic inflation. And unfortunately, as we've talked about before, the inflation that we currently have right now is not organic. That was driven by you know, massive amounts of stimulus that created this artificial demand that that pig in the python, so to speak, is now has moved primarily through it. Savings have been drawn down. Consumer credit is ramping up as consumers just try to make ends meet. So the problem for small businesses are that the rent is going up. The rent's too damn high. Um, the rent's going up, but consumption is falling, right? So the number of customers that are coming in and buying stuff are slowing down. So I can't really raise my prices because I've already got lack of demand which means that that rental increase is now going right to my bottom line. I'm paying more for rent. Alignable Reports reported that due to ongoing economic challenges, small business owners' ability to pay their full rent on time in October took a major hit based on a new Alignable poll. In fact, U.S. rent delinquency rate among small businesses has jumped 7% in just one month, making it the largest, most rapid increase in 2022. In September, rent delinquency was at a six-month low as optimism for quarter four's earnings potential was high, and some small business owners reported increased sales. So in just a month, basically, things took a dire turn. Just in a month, 37% of small business owners in the U.S. were unable to pay their rent. And, and we're seeing this actually show up in a lot of the economic data. Something happened in August, September. So in January, in the first quarter of this year, second quarter of this year, so from January to June, the economy was under pressure. We saw those kind of negative prints in GDP. And then beginning in July, August, the economy ticked up and we saw kind of some pinup demand, some spending going on and saw some better economic activity. And then in September, something happened and everything just kind of fell off the cliff at that point. We're seeing this now show up in a lot of the data, but there was this point to where the Fed hiked rates and all of a sudden kind of the brakes went on the economy. And we're now starting to see this and some of the economic data and, and talking about this in particular. The poll results were interesting. The poll said that higher rents were 51% of the cause for small businesses um, being delinquent. Cumulative negative impact of more than a year of high inflation, which has been absorbed, which has absorbed most of the sales gains. Of course, they're also fearful of recessions coming, steeper than usual um, cost in terms of you know gas prices heating costs you know etc all going up increases in supply chain costs of course we've known that and the big one was the slowdown in consumer spending and that's the, that's the big one that's 70 percent of the economy is consumption so when we start talking about the economy and looking into next year and this kind of goes back to what we we're saying in the last segment about be careful with these stats to say 100 percent of the time after midterm election stocks always go up we still are dealing, will be dealing, we're, we haven't dealt with it yet, but we're going to deal with the lag effect of a full, you know, 4%, you know, full 
sorry, let me spit that out. We're going to be dealing with four 75 basis point rate hikes. That's three full percentage points of rate increases that have not impacted the economy yet. And that won't show up until next year. So again, this is why we've got to be a little bit cautious about, you know, wagering a bet on the markets. And again, you know, 12 months from now, sure, asset prices could be higher than the other day. Doesn't mean they can't go lower first. And that's and that's that's the real point. So we just got to be a little bit careful here. But uh, but again, we're starting to see this data show up across a lot of these economic indicators that that something happened in September, early October, and things really started to slow down. And we're and, and yes, we haven't really seen that show up just yet in the employment data, which is a big lagging indicator, jobless claims lagging indicator. Um, but we may see that in November, December, January, we may start to see those lagging indicators begin to catch up with what's what's going on real time and in, in the economy. But pay attention to this National Federation of Independent Business report that comes out today. Again, it's not given a lot of headline attention by the mainstream media, but that report has been signaling warning bells now for the last several months. So it's at least worth paying attention to because, again, you know, when you take a look at the at the importance of small businesses to the U.S. economy, as they they are they make up fifty percent of the employment. They drive a lot of the consumption business in the in the economy is driven by small businesses. It's a very important. The, the small businesses are a much more important factor than Apple, Microsoft, Intel, these companies, right? They get the headline news about what they're doing. We don't hear much from small businesses, but they are under a lot of pressure and have been for, for quite a while. So, all right, we'll come back, wrap up the show. Don't go away. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com the end of the year is fast approaching what will the new year bring join richard rosso danny ratliff and lance roberts for our year-end economic review special event tuesday november 15th how to address higher taxes in the new year should you delay your retirement in 2023 what will the midterm elections mean for markets register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
And welcome to the show this morning. It's uh, well, welcome back to the show this morning. Get ready to wrap it up. Six forty-seven already on this uh, election Tuesday. A lot of people going out to the polls to vote today. A lot of uh, states right now rushing, like Philadelphia, rushing to get errant mail-in ballots corrected. You know, if you're going to mail in a ballot, just read the directions. (laughs) You know, date it, sign it, do it, (laughs) do what you're supposed to do. (laughs) But, you know, it's interesting because as people go to vote, what are we voting for, right? We're voting for policies that we hope will make our lives better, right? We're voting for this group of individuals to go to Washington, represent our best wishes, and do things that make our lives better. Of course, the problem is is that we don't give them a set of directions, right? Saying these are the policies we want. We just say, hey, you go up there and do what you think is best. And of course, they are influenced heavily by the mega donors and the political packs and everything, corporations and everything else that provides them the money to stay in office, right? But they, so, you know, there's the, the, the disconnect is that from a political standpoint is that we don't give our elected representatives a list of things that we want. Hey, we want lower inflation. We want better incomes. We want lower house prices, you know, whatever it is, right? We don't give them this list of demands. This is what we want you to go to Washington and fix, right? We don't do that. We just say, hey, go, go up there and do what you think is best. And half the time we're voting for people we don't even know. Um, Houston is a good example right now. Had the longest ballot in history. It's taking people up to 15 to 20 minutes to complete the ballot. You don't know half these people on the ballot. Uh, actually, I, I, I that little correct that. You don't know anybody on this ballot. You might recognize a couple of names at the top of the ballot, but judges, county clerks, all that stuff. Who, who knows? And so that's part of the problem is that just as individuals, we're very economically detached from what happens politically. We vote for the economy, right? If you take a look at all the polls right now of people going to vote, the number one issue is the economy. Inflation, wages, what's happening at home. Right? What happens around the kitchen table, that's what's important to them. Everything else kind of falls to the wayside. And so we've always talked about, you know, when people go to vote, they vote their pocketbook. And what's interesting is, of course, is now after 40 years of, of doing this, the economic environment has now caught up with most people. And... You know, we talked about previously the middle class. And, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s, when I was growing up, people lived in moderate houses. They drove moderate cars. They worked. They saved. Had no debt to speak of other than their mortgage. And it was all about kind of just raising the family, right? You you had your 2.3 kids and a dog and a fence, right? That was... That was pretty much life growing up. You played outside, drank from the garden hose, and came home when the streetlight came on. You know, all these stories, right? This is, this is the, way, the way that life was, right? The leave-it-to-beaver type you know, life. 
And then beginning in the 80s, we begin to de-financial, uh, deregulate the financial industry. And, and all of a sudden, we introduced America to consumerism. You need more. It's okay. You can't pay for it. Put it on credit. And it became a thing. Now, 40 years later, households are so indebted that they can't keep up, which has resulted in slower economic growth, which has resulted in lower rates of inflation, which has resulted in slower rates of economic growth, which is, uh, which is, you know, led to lower wages, et cetera, so forth and so on. And it's interesting because I have published an article this morning. Uh, it's on the website called There Is No Middle Class Any Longer. You know, what is important to an economy and what drove the U.S. to be head and shoulders wealth-wise above any other country in the world was the strength of the middle class. They had savings. They bought stuff. And they worked and produced and they created economic growth and they created a system of wealth equality. Look, and, and here's the thing. Whenever you hear about people talk about wealth inequality, say, oh, we have all these poor people, right? Every economy has poor people. You can blame the rich people, but every economy has rich people. What makes an economy really strong is how big that chunk in the middle is. That chunk in the middle is the workers for, those, for the rich, right, that own the businesses, they need a very strong middle class to show up and work and create stuff. The poor, you're always just going to have that. There's just it's just a function of statistics. You take a, you take any distributed bell curve, and and there's always two tails: the rich and the poor. You're always going to have that. What's important is is how big that bell is in the middle, because that's what drives economic growth, spending, consumption, savings. That's what the business creation, all that. And that's what created a very strong economic environment. Today, 80% of Americans cannot afford to sustain a family of four in the U.S. without going into debt, outside of a mortgage, right? So we're talking about additional credit card debt, those type of things. The top 20% of median income earners have just seen massive increases in wages and net worth over time because of the impact of higher housing prices, higher asset prices, those type of things, where those in the top 20%, those of you listening to the show, you're in the top 20% because I guarantee that most people that are not in the top 20% of income earners are not listening to a financial talk show at 6.54 in the morning. So you're gluttons for punishment. But the point is, is that the, the wealth distribution has shifted to the top 20%. So there is no middle class anymore. That bell curve is now shifted to the top 20%. So if you take a look at the at the at the distribution of wealth, there's a big lump of it in the top 20%. Everybody else is just struggling to pay bills. If you take a look at the current breakdown of total net worth. So this is everything, right? Uh equities, savings, cash, Houses, mortgages, those type of things. Assets versus uh, assets minus liabilities, net worth. 
The top 1% own 32% of the entire net worth of the country. The next 9%, so the top 10%, own 70% of all the wealth. The next 40%, so down to the bottom, so from 50 to 99, they only own 28% of the economy. And the bottom 50% of the economy only own 2.7%. So again, when we start talking about the top 10, the top 20%, they own the vast majority of the wealth in the economy. And that's not the type of economic environment. This is why we can't. And, and here's, the, here's why that's not good, right? It's not good that, you know, just, you know, well, they have all the money. That's not fair. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not good economically for only 20% of the people to own all the wealth. And here's why. Brent wins Powerball. Has $500 million. Now, Brent's smart. He's going to vanish to some distant island so all of his friends and neighbors and relatives won't show up asking for handouts. But Brent's going to go buy his, his private G4. He's going to buy a big yacht. He's going to buy three fancy cars that he's always wanted. He's going to buy a brand new Mazda Miata, finally. Because he's been driving. How old is that Mazda now? Like 30 years old you've been driving? Oh no, no, it's only 16 years old. 16 years old. Yeah. So Barely broken in. Barely broken in. Just got a brand new motor. So, but so he's going to go out and spend all this money. So there's going to be this initial hit to the economy, right? So he's going to spend all this money. It's great. But once he has his big house, his yacht, his plane, what's he going to do now? What's he going to buy next? Right? So the consumption slows. And this is what happens at the top 20%. Most people in the top 20%, they have a pretty steady lifestyle. They have their cars, they have their houses, they go on their trips every year, but the steady, the spending is pretty steady. So as they create more and more wealth, a lot of it just winds up into savings and investments. That doesn't create economic activity. It creates more net worth for them, but it doesn't create economic activity by investing in the stock market and buying a piece of real estate. So this is why when you get a very lopsided distribution of wealth, economic growth slows because they, there is a marginal rate of consumption to where once they've spent all they're going to spend, it's not going to increase a whole lot more. And this is why you look at the distribution of savings, right? It's all owned by the top 10% of people because they have savings. The bottom 80%, they don't have $500 in the bank because they have to live paycheck to paycheck. You know, recent study out, 65% people. The paycheck to paycheck, not surprising. Anyway, that article on the middle class that doesn't exist anymore, it's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, be sure and um, stick around. Uh, three minutes of markets money coming up. Make sure you're registered for the upcoming event on November the 15th. We'll talk about the economy and more. That's coming out uh, on the 15th. Make sure you're registered at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get our latest newsletter, blog posts uh, up as well. And uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great day.